When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the art and science of making reliable inferences about people, behaviors, and systems so that you can understand the increasing understanding of the underlying structure and as it vibrates throughout the company because something that happens in one department, you might not think it affects you, but it does affect people and their behaviors and other things. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Welcome, season 10, episode five. So glad you're here. I've got some questions for you before I introduce our guest. uh, I almost hate to ask these questions in in today's day, but we have to, it'll help you know exactly where we're going. Have you ever felt faced with a puzzling pattern of events, been stuck in a confusing situation, or even felt trapped by your own routine thinking patterns? Or maybe you've wondered about how you think and how you make decisions during messy and unexpected situations. And if you're scratching your head as you answer those questions, do you have to deal with any ambiguity? And the answer is yes, you do. You absolutely do. And in this uh, this day and age, I can't think of a more relevant topic uh, for every leader listening right now. Our guest today is Dr. Debbie Sutherland, and she's going to give you tools, resources, and insights to help you increase your comfort with all those unknowns. So if you're a business leader, you're wanting to expand your thinking, your leadership capacity, uh, maybe you're recognizing you have a knowing gap in business or life or uh, or someone, maybe you feel that it's time to understand your own biases and assumptions at a deeper level. This episode and Debbie's new book, The Business of Ambiguity, are for you. You're in the right place today. So Debbie is an expert in organizational behavior, system thinking, the hidden power of adult learning. She's worked in a variety of global roles in organizations, including international startups, and she's currently working as an executive in the United Arab Emirates. From where she's joining us for the show on a Friday evening, her time, Debbie, we so appreciate you being here. Dr. Sutherland, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Wow, David, thank you. It's a thrilling to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. And like I said, this uh, The Business of Ambiguity, the full title is The Business of Ambiguity, Demystify the Unknown with Five Key Thinking and Behavior Strategies. And uh, I, I got to tell you, listeners, this book has so much, I was telling Debbie before we we started recording, that uh, I don't know that I have seen a resource with this depth and level of understanding, analysis, research, and yet such practicality. It's just filled with things that you can take and, and think about and start using immediately while you're building your overall approach. We're going to get into all that, but Debbie, I got to start by asking you uh, a, a personal question. That question is, can you take us back to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader? Yeah, you know, I... I really would love to say that the earliest memory is a childhood memory where I learned those lessons really early in school or with groups or clubs, but I think I was a late bloomer. I was a young professional before I actually got uh, probably those practical understanding of what leadership was. 
I think I've always wondered how people think. And I think that's probably why I'm in the position I am now is I just kind of was on the fringe of the drama, just watching people and learning and what are they thinking? And so I, back in the day, I saw leaders at, or what I thought were leaders at that time were people who had firm opinions and maybe even strong or loud opinions and they commanded respect in, in, a, in a meeting. So I thought that's what a leader was. And so mm. I was like, oh, I really, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm not, I'll have to learn a lot of details about something to have that strong of a conviction to be a leader. But that's what I thought leadership was. Um, so I probably was a really good manager up to that point because I was organized. I was practical. I was getting things done and I had a big team and I was running it. I thought we were successful. But I did land in a, um, a big company and I did um, come into a, a big team and I was there to help do a little bit of change management. And I thought that the and I knew that this team was very, uh, very well versed in their roles. They knew their roles better than I did. And so I probably spent the first three months just asking questions and I was in a very vulnerable state. I, I knew that they could probably be thinking that maybe I um, didn't know my own stuff. Why am I asking so many questions? How am I getting to know everyone? Um, but what I, I, I now know what happened thereafter. It's obviously the little bit of hindsight that is helpful is um, they felt like they were in a well-held environment that this change person coming in wasn't changing them. We were just growing the company and moving along the way. So I found out later that they became a better team because my other line manager had told me that. So I think that's the light bulb switch for me is when I, oh, that's the difference between a manager and a leader. And what I'm seeing in that example is so many of the seeds of this work that we're talking about, the, the business of ambiguity, and you showed up with some natural inclination or somewhere that you had learned to do some of the things that, that we'll get into. Uh, in in how you went about engaging with people and uh, so much so much to draw on there. So I want to get into that, but before we do, and maybe it directly, there's a, a direct through line from that experience to this question. But I'm curious what led you to write this book because uh, you know I know it takes a while to write a book. Written several, like it takes. There's a lead time to this, and when we look at the world right now, you know I remember when I was young change when, when I was a young business person, change was, uh, you know, local, there was a, a business leader or a new entity came in or somebody was leaving or, you know, things felt they had a regional feel to them. Now, it, it's like whatever the global headline is seems to have a direct impact on everybody. And whether it's, you know, pandemic, whether it's the Russian invasion of Ukraine, whether it's, uh, you know, environment change, you know, yeah. climate change, whatever it might be, there are so many different of these, these aspects that I don't know that the world's more ambiguous than it's ever been, but I certainly think that it feels that way to many people. And so I'm curious, what's led you to this book? Why this book? Why now? It's, it's a, a little bit of a journey. Uh, um, it's born from my research, as you said, uh, and then turned into a book. But it probably came from a sense of frustration <laughs> when you want to make change or feel like you think there's a way to make change. Uh, I, you obviously want to solve all world's problems when you start your doctorate, um, but you realize very 
very soon thereafter that it, that's not the point. You just kind of give a sliver of insight. Um, but I, but to give you a little bit of insight into that journey, I had been working for a large scale startup here in the Middle East. And I had the privilege of working in some very centralized positions, probably with the HR team and the strategy team. And it was, it, um, I think you can appreciate that most large scale startups are messy. Um, for the first 18 months, maybe even two years, there's a lot of things going on and there's a lot of frustrations, fast directions, that sort of thing. And what you can see or you could feel is that some people don't, don't on a spectrum of ambiguity deal with that very well. Either they're on one side and they're always making fast decisions and just, just moving forward because that's what you're propelled to do in a business. Or they stall the business because they just don't have enough information because you're in this ambiguous state and you just might never get the information that you feel helps you with a decision path. So that sense of frustration came from two areas. I, I was working with dignitaries, uh, foreign diplomats, scientists in the renewable energy space and CEOs. And not that directly, but I was in their sphere of, of, of influence and there was just not enough leadership training. Um, I just didn't understand how some people were gravitating towards it and were successful in this space. Was it their nationality? Was it the training they had? Did they come from Wharton, INSEAD, Harvard, any of these amazing schools that taught them this? And so um, I, I wanted to know the theory behind it a little bit. Um, training courses are fantastic, but I just felt there was something about the organization that could do as well. I did go to Columbia University. There's a program there. It's the XMA, um, which is, you know, um, Organizational Design and Behaviors Master's Program. Um, but when I got there, I learned this concept called system thinking. And that's when the light switch went on. And, and I was like, that's what's happening. The so systems thinking is, for anyone who hasn't heard this term before, um, it's the art and science of making reliable inferences about people, behaviors, and systems so that you can understand the increasing um, understanding of the underlying structure and it, as it vibrates throughout the company because something that happens in one department, you might not think it affects you, but it does affect people and their behaviors and other things. So um, that led me to um, research it a bit more, and then I went into adult learning. Um, concepts in my doctorate program. And for people who have done a dissertation, um, there's only four people. You spend years doing it. There's only four people who ever read it. It's pretty dense in its very academic prose. It's not nice to read, but I thought there were some really good messages there because I'm an academic practitioner at heart. Yes. So I wanted it to be practical. And so the book came from the research. And it's such a good, uh, good model that to have that depth of research. And we've had a guest recently who, uh, same thing, dissertation on the remote work environment and said, okay, wait a minute, this is pertinent. This is now people need this. So put the practical book together to help people with that. So I, I appreciate you taking the time and having the generosity of spirit to say, hey, this is helpful for people. Let's get this out here. So I'm going to come back to systems thinking in just a minute, because I do think that that's important for every leader listening to understand what we're talking about there and how they can use that and how it can help. But before we do that, you, you've hinted at it, nibbled around the edges, but I want to just let's put it out there. When we say ambiguity, 
What exactly do you mean by that? When we're talking about leading in, working through, dealing with ambiguity, how would you define ambiguity? Ambiguity can be defined as paradoxes that happen in the business or in your life in general. Um, imperfect information, conflicting information, um, and then in the business sense, I know it's really on your nose to say the pandemic was ambiguous for everyone, but even in the business sense, in your personal sense, when you're working through decisions and there's too many variables and they're changing variables, they're always dynamic and changing, um, that's an ambiguous situation. And it's stressful. It is stressful. I, I'm thinking of so many of our clients that uh, a couple years ago, uh, I don't know, about five, six years ago, I was working with a, a client and they... Uh, in the engineering space, and they had uh, some public utilities that were major clients of theirs, and and just a, a, a huge amount of ambiguity. They would contracts would go and change from day to day, and it was it was maddening for them. And I remember sitting with the the senior executive, and we were talking through it, and he said, "I just don't know what I'm going to show up to tomorrow. I never know." Yeah, and you know we had that conversation. And said, yeah, you and it, it's become one of the things that that a core part of some of our teaching is that you can't always choose what you're going to show up to, but you can always choose how you'll show up. And that seems to be at the core of some of your what you call the ambiguity mindset is how you're going to approach ambiguity, how you're going to show up for those unknowns or those conflicting priorities or the paradoxes, how you're going to show up for that as a leader. Right. Your show, um, Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, Ambiguity, Leadership Without Losing Your Cool. It's this, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it, it happens. You, you don't necessarily, there's a lot of leaders that don't necessarily know how they show up during that really messy space. Um, and that's where I was finding the gap is leadership programs are fantastic. Um, but do they give you enough tools for when you're in this very stressful um, state? Because it's just not, uh, it's your business, of course, but um, static processes um, change when you're not even under um, paying attention. People's behaviors change, ebb and flow, and, and, and people move in and out of the organization. So it's hard to even keep track of what's happening in the invisible spaces of your business. You know, and I, I think that's the the number one element. I don't know any way to have this conversation without getting metaphysical, but, <laughs> that, but you know, there, there is that saying that nothing is certain in life, but death or taxes, or, uh, you know, that if you want to go Buddhist, like impermanence is the fact of life. That is life that the constant state of change and so on. And I know, and I'm speaking personally here as uh, someone, and I can do the psychology and I went, you know, go back to my youth and the impermanence and instabilities that I faced and my desire as a leader to create structure and knowability and be able to forecast what tomorrow is going to look like and make that happen. That's something that drives a lot of leaders. And yet it's, it's kind of a fool's errand, isn't it? So it's, it's, it's almost the paradox. The way you're, you're talking is it's deeply reflective. Like you're taking your deliberate pause and you're thinking about the next step that you want to do. Um, and when you're in that, um, ambiguity, it feels like you need to get out of there fast. Um, but, um, based on my research, I, I, I obviously there's good theory that can support this, but I really wanted to interview a lot of 
executives who have been very successful in their careers um, in during in complex adaptive systems that they work in. And the research was showing that they have a deeply reflective mindset, that they are continually learning from their experiences and honing how to uh, make action, um, a better action in the future. So um, that's the paradox because businesses are fast paced. They, we bulldoze through barriers and keep moving forward. It's hard to look back even quickly. Yeah. And you have, and, and you get into the book and you get this in a d- number of different directions. And so I want to, uh, we'll, ha- we'll take some time to unpack this a little bit, I think. But as you're talking about that deeply reflective executive and leaders who succeed in, in the mid- middle of ambiguity, they have this way of thinking and thinking about things. And it's not just what I would say kind of our, our normal fast-paced, get it done, and effective up to a point leader does, which is, all right, I've got today's problem, i got to solve today's problem, and then we'll move on to tomorrow's problem. That these leaders do something where they take a step back and they think more broadly. And I think that's what you're getting at earlier when you're talking about systems thinking um, versus you contrast that with analytic thinking in the book, but systems thinking where we're seeing the whole, the whole of the department, the whole of the organization, the whole of the ecosystem that our business sits in, where we're seeing all of the inputs and outputs and kind of looking at it from a a, a much higher view in order to figure out what are the best or better solutions rather than just fixing today's problem. How can we actually fix the system if I'm understanding it correctly? Yeah, you it's absolutely uh, correct. And when you were talking about systems thinking, your arms are out and you're kind of like the big picture, the holes, not the parts of the business. And that's exactly what happens when you start systems thinking. You 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 feel like you've just expanded your thinking patterns. Um, you can't blame a marketing department for a product um, selling stall. You know, it's not selling well because it was probably not just the marketing department. It was the communication process. It could have been an employee turnover. It could have been the brief that wasn't done properly by another department. So it is the systems thinking um, aspect that I I'll give you I'll give you a, a theory, another one that most organizational de- um, developers have tattooed on their arm someplace. It's the Kurt Lewin theory of behavior is a function of the person in the environment. So if you have a, you know, a, <laughs> I'm laughing because I had so many of these conversations over the course of my career is, you know, as I'd have a, a CEO or somebody frustrated with an individual, I'm like, they're yeah. acting rationally given the system they're in. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's where the, or the OD portion of the book comes into play in terms of ambiguity. You have to be looking at your environment. All right, well, let's take this to the level of a leader. Let's say you're a, a senior vice president in an organization. You've got a, uh, a department or a responsibility, uh, like you know, you used marketing earlier or, or what have yeah. you. And so you're looking at, all right, I've got objectives I need to meet. I'm not, uh, I'm not satisfied with where we are in this regard. And, okay, yeah, I'm a part of a system, but how do I take responsibility? How do I actually lead in situations like that? Because I know you're not talking about just, I'm gonna blame shift off to, well, it's not our fault, it's uh, the system that we're a part of, right? So how does a leader, how do I take responsibility and and 
help us collectively create a better future? So I think, and jump in here, but leaders know a lot of, about their own business. They're, that by proxy that they have more information than the rest of the business um, because they are the leader. But I think when you're in this, um, when something's not going well, they need to come from that position of um, curiosity rather than an expert's mindset, because they don't necessarily know everything that's going on in the other other layers of, of the organization, not layers down, but, you know, laterally as well through the different silos of what's going on. So having an adaptable mindset. So yes, you probably have a, a really great um, thought, strong thought of where the business should go. Um, but it really is building that connectivity throughout the business and querying a lot of people. And that's just, and even people that you don't necessarily um, like their opinions of, and that's where harness the power of diverse networks comes from in terms of your outer sphere is because um, you really need to find out everybody's assumptions of what's going on to be able to find the next best decision path. And, and listeners, if you're paying attention here, you're, you're hearing Debbie's phrases like uh, adaptable mental models, uh, uh, harnessing strategic power of diverse networks. And if you recall, the subtitle of the book was, so we're talking about the business of ambiguity to mystify the unknown with five key thinking and behavior strategies. And so these are some of those thinking and behavior strategies, uh, the adaptable mental models, the uh, uh, harnessing the strategic power of diverse networks. I want to take a little bit deeper dive there because there's something that you said about adaptable mental models that I think is so important. And it helps set the stage for curiosity because I think a trap, well, I know a trap that I have fallen into and you call it out in the book that the competency trap, yeah. um, falling into this thinking rut based on what we've done in the past that's worked. You know, so I know Marshall Goldsmith is famous for, you know, what got you here won't get you there. But there's this tendency that we become victims of our own success. So how do, from, from your research or your interviews, you interviewed so many executives, how do executives, how do leaders overcome that competency trap and tap into a place of curiosity in order to not get stuck there? So I'm going to go a little bit research based on this answer because uh what came out of it um was they had thinking behaviors of yeah okay i can change my mind that's great that's a thinking um strategy um reading um that sort of thing researching on your own of what the next best step would be but they also had behaviors behind it and they so they were seeking meaning from their own experiences they were querying like i said and they were fostering connectivities across the organization. So they built those links so that um, they could gain information. I'll, I'll give you an example. How many times has somebody in a big business um, had to a meet, come to a meeting and everyone's shaking hands across the table when we, when we did that sort of thing and said, oh, I'm so-and-so, and they worked 50 steps away from each other and they didn't know each other's names. It's so prevalent. It's because they weren't fostering those connectivities within the business. So as an example of organizational design, you really need to create those soft, informal meeting spaces, connectivity, engagement, like um, you were talking about that person's book 
it's um, remote working, it's, 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 it's really important. You have to build those connectivities, but now um, we're missing out on that passive knowledge sharing. And intentionally creating that space and those connections. And yeah, there's a, a definite theme in so many of the experts and, and uh, thought leaders that we've been hearing from around this. And, you know, and I'm thinking of some of the, uh, again, some of our clients who have built practices like this, where they're taking 30 minutes a week and intentionally just setting meetings, uh, setting a, a, not even a meeting is calling is just making it too formal, but just a time to get to know somebody they don't know. And so Perfect. rather than allow chance, they're creating the chance and who knows what will come of it, but at least now I know you and you know me. Yes, absolutely. So in order to have those those deep networks, we're going to have to create them. That's that's part of what I'm hearing is that your leaders who have succeeded in ambiguity, that's that's some of what they do. So we want to have an, an adaptable mental model, uh, one that can stay curious and flex and, and so forth. And I, I'm speaking for myself here. So I know that and I can very much do the all right, I know with when there's this massive amount and overwhelm and conflict and da, 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 I know what I have done in the past to succeed. And I it's so easy. Those mental pathways are ingrained that they they work, they have served me in the past. I get my dopamine when it works, and so it <laughs> reinforces. Yeah. And that can limit me from being effective, as we've talked about. So how do I go about shaking that up? How do I do you have any strategies to help me develop an adaptable mental model if I am feeling stuck there if I'm feeling rigid if I'm feeling like I there's a way I want things to be and I need them to be this way and I'm recognizing what you're saying that I need to get more curious but do you have any tips to help me get over that bridge? So I, I guess I, what I, I think I hear you saying is, how do I bust my own assumptions and biases? And how do I even know I have them? Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, coming from a, a, there was one exercise that we did and journaling is not something that happens in the corporate world. But if you were to go to a, a leadership course, that might be the first thing that they do is get you to self a 360 review, um, maybe journaling throughout the program. And, and that's, you know, academics use it, uh, therapists use it, schools use it, but it's not very prevalent in the, in the corporate world. And so, you know, even just keeping a journal for a few weeks and understanding what your triggers are when there's emotional attachment to it. Why did that meeting not go well? What were you frustrated about that person about? And then getting that self-awareness of, yeah, it was probably more me than them. This person was just bringing me information that I didn't like because it wasn't meeting my expectation of the project, but it's your passion project. So you had emotion attached to it that maybe you didn't know you had. And so that's why you blasted the whole team and they came out of there feeling like they haven't performed well for you. Oh, such a valuable practice. I know I have benefited from that so many different times in my own life. So the practice is so journaling is a way to create space to just examine ourselves, our, our own behavior. And then what did happen there? Let me actually reflect on that. Take a moment to reflect on that. And that's work that you can do for yourself through a journaling process. It's work you can do with a, a coach if 
uh, if you have access to a coach. And if you don't, you do. <laughs> there were coaching mm -hmm. available all, all over. But such a valuable practice to get reflective about what's actually happening. And then that's the first starting curiosity is let me forget the system, forget the, the business, forget everybody else. Let me just get curious about myself. And if I can start there, that starts creating some space to, to do all the other kinds of adaptive thinking that you're talking about. Yeah. You know, there's one more really easy one that businesses can implement that um, it, it's sometimes painful and it, they may think it's a waste of their time and that's doing lessons learned. Uh, you know, postmortems, as you call it, whatever. Um, um, but it really is powerful for when you get to all sit in a room and without laying blame, because you're just talking about the project that didn't go well, didn't go well, but um, what didn't work in the technology side of things, the behavior side of things, the process side of things, um, the project scope, all of those things can be, you know, uh, detached from an emotion now it's done but those lessons learned will carry you and that's the learning from experience piece that we that obviously I was researching as well in adult learning and then it resonates with the team and you know while we're, while we're talking about that you, you there's another element and you, you do address I don't remember which section of the book it was in but you do address this because it, it stood out to me we like to call them post-project celebrations even if the project ah, nicer that's even you know, nicer I would much rather <laughs> attend that than the post-mortem right the yeah. the and, and one of the elements of that that we often I think it's easy to overlook is as we were talking through about the okay that didn't work out the way we had hoped let's figure out what do we learn from that one of the other learning that's available learnings that's available for us is in what did work. And let's examine that to make sure we're not unintentionally reinforcing an accident and saying, oh, this was an, a, a fantastic strategy when maybe it was just dumb luck. Or maybe we just uncovered a new skill that we really do need to cultivate. Let's also pay attention to what worked and what can we learn from that? Yeah. So that's the overconfidence bias um and then uh you know the curtain dunning of the effect is when you're in ambiguity is sometimes you don't know you're overconfident in the areas of of areas that you don't know much about and i'm going to say that when we're immersed in ambiguity and uncertain situations we're probably not experts in that space so true so true so cultivating that mindset is going to help us Throughout the book, uh, and I just want to call attention to this for, for listeners, throughout the book, uh, as you know, Debbie will start with some theory and give you the, the, the research theory behind something, um, the different models that you've been hearing referred to, then get into some uh, executive examples to make it very real. Here's how this executive in this situation deals with things. And, and as you go through the learning, each section concludes with a learning insight and these and i just call your attention to them look for them because there are so many very valuable questions in these learning insights where she makes it very practical gives you the opportunity to reflect for yourself on what's happening there and one of the other starting points i call attention to is there are some fantastic assessments so if journaling sounds like too much work today you're like yeah yeah, yeah i need to get there but what am i journaling about uh, I would direct you to some of the assessments that are in the book as well, because they will very immediately draw you to, oh, yeah, this is where I'm comfortable, this is where I'm not, and help to start create some of that self-awareness. So while we're talking about that, De Debbie, where can we find the book, the assessments, connect with you, all those good things? 
the book is available at all global digital bookstores. It's um, where you can get a hard copy and the digital copy. They're not in physical bookstores. Just um, the book was coming out during the pandemic. And I knew that, you know, people probably wouldn't be going to bookstores. Um, you can reach out to me at my website, which is behaviorsinbusiness.com. And of course, Twitter handle and, be, and um, Instagram handles are behaviors in business. All right. And we'll make sure and put all of those in the show notes too. But I would definitely encourage you as you're thinking about how you're showing up and how you're leading through ambiguity, uh, these assessments that, uh, that Debbie has in the book are so valuable for that and will help guide you through where you're going to get the most value. I know that as I was, I was reading that the, of all of the five behaviors that, uh, that you talk about, the one, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm telling you when I read through the table of contents, I was like, okay, I got to read that chapter. And so I would, I would Which like, one? I'm just going to be selfish and take the listeners on this journey. We're going to talk about developing comfort in the unknown. <laughs> because <laughs> I think of all of them, that is to me, all I've got so, so many other skill-based things, but boy, it comes down to this. If I can get comfortable here, all right, I got a chance. I, I've got a chance to lead. I got a chance to, how did you say it? You don't know what you're going to show up to, but you can keep your cool. <laughs> you know, the, the, and, and part of that comes from comfort. I'm not scared. I'm not threatened. I'm not at risk. So developing comfort in the unknown. Some people that seems to come fairly naturally. They, they like that kind of a space, but for those that it's more challenging, how can we go about developing comfort in the unknown? Yeah, I, that was an interesting chapter. Um, and that came purely out of the research um, from, from these executives is, um, is being immersed in, in those uncomfortable situations as a leader, of course, um, that happens all the time and jumping into it, leaning into it. And um, I think in a business sense is we probably don't do enough stretch projects for people who've been in their role for a long period of time. We're not cross-pollinating departments enough so that you're getting everybody who's in this state of, oh yeah, I've, I've experienced that. Yeah, yeah, this was a, I, this is what I did here. And then you can, you can start to have that really cool dialogue to help you with the next step. So it really is about leaning into going into new clubs, pushing yourself into new situations, asking to be moved into a different department if you can. It's very hard. But again, that's the paradox of businesses. You, they want you to be flexible and adaptable, but they keep you in this role for a very long time. And you're, you're doing routine stuff. And I think that's what came out of the research. If you're doing routine stuff enough times, you're going to feel comfortable in that linear thinking of how you've always done it. So really, it is, is demystifying the unknown, maybe not the fear of the unknown, but just at least demystify it so it's not a fear state. Demystifying, creating familiarity. So that's what comfort is on some level. It's I am familiar with this unknowing, with this ambiguity. And so some of the ways that, that you were just talking about, you know, it, we can do that for our people. As a leader, we can help create some of those opportunities for stretch for different where we're not going to be able to rely on our routine knowledge. As a leader myself, if I'm sitting here going, yeah, but uh, I don't have a stretch thing like that. That's not happening right now. 
There are a number of things. I remember reading, um, and you talk about this, where find ambiguous situations for yourself, and they don't have to be work-related. You know, you can, yeah. uh, you know, pick up a, a, and maybe there is, you can take an assignment that's different than than what you would have normally gone through. But uh, in life, there are so many different places we can put ourselves that are new. You know, take an improv class, <laughs> you know, and now exactly. I'm in a total, if I've never done that before. Uh, you know, I remember Peter Drucker uh, talking about, uh, or somebody had interviewed him, they were talking about how he would, you know, I don't know, every year or two pick up and try a new thing he'd never done before. Like, I'm going to learn how to play the cello because it's incredibly humbling. You don't know so much. And as long as you're continuing to make your brain do that, you're cultivating that ability to be okay with not knowing. Yeah. You know what's really prevalent now that I think maybe people um, might resonate with is the side hustle. Everybody's gravitating to a side hustle now, whatever that may be, doing blogs, uh, doing a website, learning a new craft. Um, I got to tell you, you're so messed with so many indecisions if you want to build a website. There's so many beautiful ones out there. You don't know which direction to take. It can be as simple as that, but come on, let's dig in. Let's see. You'll learn new things. You'll meet new people, and then you'll understand a little bit more, and that's okay. That's a wonderful experience to take away from. You've tried it, and now you've got something to show for it, and then you can tackle the next one. And it doesn't need, I mean, and I think it's important to, to also reference the, as a side hustle, it doesn't have to be for money. Like it can be mm. a hobby. It can be an experience. It can be, hey, I'm going to try to do this. And who knows what will come of it? It may become a passion project. It may become volunteering. It may just be something exactly. that's learning and interesting. And then we go on to the next thing. And it's okay for us to have those things. In fact, it's more than okay. It's actually very healthy and helpful. Yeah. You know what? There's this one piece of inform, uh, research I saw years ago that people line managers tend to promote people who've got outside interests. Oh, I haven't seen And that. now I'm like, you know, and then I was, and then I was kind of thinking about that. Is it, is it because it makes you more interesting or, um, but I'm assuming now that, I, you know, based on my own research, it's because you're probably well-versed and you've got a, a different mental model. That's just not on the deliverables of this business. And your line manager found value in your diverse interests. Can imagine. That's interesting. I hadn't seen that particular piece of research. So as as we're talking about developing comfort, our familiarity with the unknown. So we've talked about like putting ourselves in ambiguous situations, whether that's at work or if nothing is readily available there. Or there's so many other opportunities. Some other things that we can do to to get familiar and get comfortable with ambiguity and the unknown. Um, you talk about challenging assumptions. And at first I read this, I was starting to scratch my head going, okay, now, uh, you know, in every organization, you got that person that just challenges everything. That's not what we're talking about here as I, as I unpacked it and explored it. Uh, what do you mean by challenging assumptions? How do we develop our comfort with ambiguity by challenging assumptions? So on the practical sense of what you can do in your own organization, whether you're the senior leader who has impact into creating that change within the organization, or you're a talent expert and you're building um, your leaders within the organization, is um, one of the things that's worked really well is just having that coaching culture um, and building that within the organization so that um, there's this one exercise in the book. It's, 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 
quite old, actually. It's the ladder of inference. If you feel somebody is running up that ladder of inference where they're making assumption after assumption after assumption, you can quickly cool that down going, well, where are you getting that information? Can you tell me more? So you just slow it down and you help people understand their own thinking. So they're saying, well, I was thinking this. And I said, oh, that's interesting because I completely saw it this way. So it comes down to that critical dialogue, which um, we've implemented at a, a coaching culture before, or trying to get to those ethos where it's okay to ask people to explain their thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So, and as a leader, you can do that. And as a leader, you can also do that for yourself. I, I used to have this uh, uh, bumper sticker. It wasn't on a car. It was like on a, on a notebook I, I had. Uh, and I'm sure it was, you know, back from the sixties, like, don't believe everything you think. And <laughs> And I just love that. Don't believe everything you think. Like I got to question my own assumptions. And uh, back in my early, early days, um, uh, both in education and then in uh, business leadership, you know, I'd have conversations and, and somebody would say, oh, well, I can't do that. And whatever the topic was, well, I, yeah, I can't do that. Like, hmm, who told you that? Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know okay, well, why do you believe that? You know, and that, that whole questioning of our assumptions and challenging one another's assumptions if, and building a community like you were talking about earlier where like maybe I can start small. Maybe I can just get two other managers who maybe are want to go on this journey to, to maybe there's two other vice presidents in the organization and let's just, let's do that for one another. And maybe we're trying to break down silos in our complex adaptive organization and, and build bridges with one another. Well, why does that exist? Does it have to? How can we, and, and start getting curious about those things and create that space to question with one another, uh, who knows what can happen? Yeah, and it, normally those types of things happen in leadership and uh, uh, events and it gives you the tools and the vocabulary um, to, so that you can test it out in the business. Um, one of the things I was teach or in helping the, in, uh, the leaders, the senior leaders is, if somebody is going to give you a project, a finished document, the deliverable is just push back lightly and say, did you talk to three different departments about this? Um, because three different departments are going to have different insights into that product or whatever it is you're delivering. And not necessarily that you have to implement what the different departments say, but it does kind of put it in the back of your mind that people will think about this differently if it's delivered and has you addressed everybody's ideas. Um, so it's just a light pushback. Again, it's another organizational mechanism um, to make sure that you're using systems thinking in, in your business. And as you're, as you're doing that, and even if they haven't, you can build it into your project plan of, okay, listen, I am going to expose myself yes. to some alternate ways of thinking here because I want to make sure we're delivering the best possible thing. And so some basics, I mean, our project managers are going, yes, stakeholder, get them in there, right? Uh, that you, you, the more of those perspectives you're able to get, like you said, it's not about satisfying every single one, but if you understand the bigger picture, and the, the whys behind what you're doing, you're going to be able to do a better, more effective job, whether that job is a product, a service, a, a process, what, whatever it is that you're, you're working on. Yeah, and stakeholders, and even that takes on a different uh, twist if you're talking about your external stakeholders, because they're also maybe going through an ambiguous situation. So whatever you thought their, their partnership 
values were with you, they may have shifted as well during this uncertainty. So really kind of understanding that power dynamic, interest dynamic. Um, we've done mind maps um, for certain um, teams when, but when they're embarking on a project so that they can really start to think on the, the invisible. I keep calling it the hidden um, or the invisible links. Have you thought about them? Who has obviously overt power, but who has the reverent power? Who's really gonna make the decisions? Have you really thought about that? We're talking with Dr. Debbie Sutherland here. She is uh, obviously, if you've been listening, an expert on the business of ambiguity, helping you to lead through ambiguity, demystifying, and I love that term, demystify the unknown with five key thinking and behavior strategies. So it just as we're running out of time here today, we're talking about different ways of thinking, different ways of approaching the mindset we can develop, the ways that we're reflecting, the ways that we're interacting with other people, exposing ourselves. the point of which all of it, if we want to succeed at leading in ambiguity, we got to get comfortable with it by getting accustomed to it and getting our, our brains used to, hey, this is a thing. This is, I got to stay humble. I got to stay learning. I got to stay curious by building networks of a, a diverse range of people so that we're getting exposed to different ways of thinking. So uh, we have that resiliency of a lot of different ways of processing and dealing with whatever it is that we're showing up to. And, and all of this helps us, as you said, to stay cool, to stay grounded and centered and be able to lead from a place of influence through ambiguity. So I'm going to, I would like to give you the, the final word here, Debbie, as, as we land the plane, bring it to a close, pull into shore, whatever metaphor we're going to use. As, as you have worked with leaders who have really done an excellent job of leading through ambiguity, is there anything we haven't talked about that, you know, here's practically something else, just one more thing that I would leave that you'd want to leave our listeners with to help them thrive in their leading through ambiguity? I think you did an amazing summary. I don't know how I could add to it. Um, I guess it's the power of behavioral science in, in, in what you're dealing with at work. Um, we get really bogged down in businesses and our personal life with processes and facts and just moving forward that sometimes we forget about the people and the behaviors and who we are and how we think and really kind of pay attention um, to those aspects and so that you're getting to know your environment. And then you can make the next best decision. It really, there's no measurement for it except your own comfort level of how you're going to deal with the next messy mm. situation you're in. Mm. Get connected, get connected, connect to your environment, connect to your people, get connected. And you know, it all comes back. We're think. talking, yeah. we're talking about human centered leadership. And so how are you thinking? Are you focused on people? Are you focused on those processes and the systems we're a part of? before you get down to that level of the tasks and the things that you're, you're kind of immediately hitting your windshield. That's not easy to do, but the more that you do it, the more you'll be the leader you'd want your boss to be. Dr. Debbie Sutherland, thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Thank you, it's been a pleasure being here. Thank you very much for inviting me. All right, until next time. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.